Welcome to the Independent Advisors Podcast, where we dive into the world of stocks, tradable markets, and financial planning with Jessup Wealth Management's Chief Investment Officer, Mark McEvely, and CEO, Matt Jessup. You'll hear tips, tricks, and strategies to address your financial well-being, and most importantly, conveyed in a way that everyone can understand. Here are your hosts, Mark and Matt. Everyone, welcome to the 65th episode of the Independent Advisors Podcast, where Matt Jessup and I, Mark McEvely, bring you into our world of financial markets and financial planning from the past week. So good afternoon to you, Matt. Good afternoon, Mark. Last day of trading for the quarter. It's currently a little bit past one. Got about less than three hours left, my friend. Yeah, market's acting uh, more normal today. A little push uh, into the, the end of the quarter. After the sell-off from the past couple of weeks, but... Crazy to kind of think that we're already in Q4 of 2020. I feel like we just celebrated the new year. I feel like we have. I know there's a lot of people that are welcoming the calendar change to 2021. Yeah, I know. I think maybe that's why everyone's uh, pushing this one faster than normal. So and not complaining about it. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> we're gonna be we're gonna be in 2021 here before we know it. But seasonally, for the markets, as we're gonna talk about has historically been favorable uh, for stocks going into Q4. Yeah, especially November and December. So hopefully a little bit of a change up from what we've experienced the past couple of weeks. Yep, get past the election. Yep. Um, so we'll start uh, with the first few minutes of just explaining to everyone the performance of the major indexes that we track. Uh, and this is from Coifin, and this is as of 1045 this morning, and this is uh, the last day of September. S&P 500 index up, or excuse me, down 3.67% for the month and up 4.51% for the year. The Dow Jones is down 2.16% for the month, down 2.4% for the year. The NASDAQ down 5.59% for the month and up 23.91% for the year. The IWM ETF that tracks the Russell 2000 index down 2.47% for the month and down 8.48% for the year. The Vanguard International ETF X United States down 2% for the month and down 5.89% for the year. Three-month T-bill currently yielding 0.09%. Two-year Treasury note currently yielding 0.13%. And the 10-year Treasury bond is yielding 0.69%. Um, so some information from the past week, Congress is continuing to debate another potential stimulus bill. So House Democrats are preparing a new $2.4 trillion bill, and Republicans have gone up to about $1.3 trillion recently and are signaling that they're not going to go any higher than that. Yeah, I saw that, Mark. Um, but there is some optimism, I think, today in the markets uh, from uh, Secretary Mnuchin coming out saying that the uh, that Congress is going to give it a real try, in quotes, uh, this time around. So hopefully they do get something passed. Rumor mill I saw around lunchtime is they're going to try to throw some more PPP money in there. I don't know how that would actually end up working out, but if it were successful, <clears throat> were successful, I think it'd be big for the markets. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, next, obviously, as we talked about, the S&P 500 briefly dipped into correction territory last Thursday, which was September 24th, and that means it was down at least 10% from its high that it hit a few weeks before. 
Um, but everything seems to be bouncing back nicely over the past couple of days now. Hey, Mark, you want to pause and just explain the difference between a correction and a bear market? Yeah, correction in our industry is defined as any investment that from its highest high is down 10% off of that high. And a bear market is down 20% off of that high. So if you hear that in the industry uh, media stations uh, like CNBC, people are talking about bear markets and corrections. Uh, corrections is 10% from its high and bear markets 20%. Excellent. Thank you. Yep. Um, lastly, uh, Fed Chair Powell uh, had testimony last week on Capitol Hill. And he assured Congress that the Fed remains committed to using the, quote, full range of tools to support the economy for as long as needed, end quote, and went on to remind lawmakers of their own role in helping to keep the recovery on track as well, i.e. a stimulus bill. Um, a few episodes ago, you know, I mentioned some data on what happens when we paid that back. Um, so I think this is kind of positive for the market overall that the Fed's going to remain pretty accommodative for at least the next two years, <laughs> um, because obviously we're not going to be paying anything back over that period of time. Well, it's so a huge tailwind. I think it is a huge tailwind based on some of the stats that I mentioned. I think it was last week or the week before on typically when we're paying debt back, it's kind of rocky times for the markets. Yeah. I mean, I'd second exactly what you said. I mean, for them to be so transparent and telegraph their moves going out 18 to 24 months is literally unprecedented. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. So um, that was it from uh, the week in terms of headlines and current events. Uh, obviously, the first presidential debate was last night. Um, but again, right now, that's all just short term noise. Yep. Um, so moving on to tweets, articles and research from the week, we'll start with you, Matthew. I got a couple ones. I got a couple good ones. So listeners, the first is an update from Barron's. Now, Barron's is a weekly publication by the Wall Street Journal it comes out on Saturdays, and it is very heavy with what I would call editorial content, where they are either providing their uh, opinion or they are highlighting the opinion of usually active traders, okay? So in this update on September 26th, Mark, they were talking about insider buying and selling. Now this looks at stocks in general, so not any specific company, but it kind of pulls in um, all stocks in general. Okay? And ins insiders, C-suite executives, you know, higher ups and management in these companies. That's correct. And so listeners, they have to telegraph, they have to tell the market and their shareholders whether they're buying or selling securities because they're technically an insider, mm -hmm. right? And um, the data indicates, Mark, that insiders are stepping up, and I would say, generally speaking, buying shares of their company's stock during the past month when we've had some market weakness after the market took a breather after a very strong summer. And so I'd like to get this chart on the uh, podcast notes because it, yeah, it will be, it'll yeah. graphically indicate to the listeners, they can visually see that we are back in a bullish scenario where these insiders are definitely buying right now. Yeah. And the way I look at this uh, indicator is that, you know, in my opinion, people only buy their own stock for one reason. They're pretty optimistic going forward on the general market or their stock. And whereas if they're selling, it could be for multiple reasons. It could be because they think the market's turning for worse or there's something wrong with the company. But people got to realize that, you know, CEOs and management, they sell their stock for different reasons. If they need to pay for something or pay something off, 
there's you know hundreds it's too of, large of a concentration within their personal net worth right right so there's several reasons why people could sell but in my opinion you know there's only one reason why they're buying their own stock yeah i mean when you're using hard you know cash to actually make that purchase they could have bought anything right Right. right. Yeah. So I think that's that's definitely a positive reading here, at least in the intermediate term going into Q4. I definitely like to see that. I have one more. This is pretty interesting. This is a tweet from uh, and I hope I pronounce uh, the name correctly. Uh, Peru Saxena. Do you think I did that right? Yeah, it looks looks about right. OK, good shot. so um, uh, no offense. I did the best I could, um, but he had a, he had a, a tweet and this is what it said. The U.S. economy survived under all the previous administrations, right? Question mark. I'll do the same after um, November 2020. He said, I'm sorry, he said, it'll do the same after November 2020. American capitalism will do just fine no matter who is in power. Election equals short term noise. And then I love this statement. And Mark, I wanted to get your feedback on it. Yeah, I saw this, uh, this past weekend as well. And I, I, thought about putting it on and then i saw you were you were going to talk about it so great minds think alike yeah that's right but no i think this is great and actually i'm going to get into this uh, a little deeper and you know we've talked about this on the podcast before but um in a couple minutes here i'm going to go over a presentation by invesco that outlines or pretty much backs up that statement from peru so i think that he's spot on with that and you know people put too much weight into the now and how this is going to affect it so i hope some of the data points I point out um, kind of back this up and give people more context behind that. Excellent. Um, I'll turn it back to you. Um, so this one is from BTN Research, and this has to do with uh, S&P 500 performance. So the stat is over the last 30 years from 1990 to 2019, the S&P 500 stock index has gained an average of 4.7% total return over the final three months of the year. So that's October, November, December. 24 of the last 30 fourth quarters, which is 80%, have produced a positive total return gain. So again, just data to back up what we were saying that seasonally Q4 has usually been pretty bullish for the markets. I love it. And I just want to explain to listeners what the term total return means. So there are two forms of a return when someone's buying a stock that is possible. The first is capital appreciation. Example, you buy XYZ stock at $10 and it goes to $11. That's a 10% gain. The other potential return component is if that company pays a dividend that gets paid out to shareholders, that could be a part of the rate of return. Right. So in my example, if you have a stock at $100, and it pays a $3 dividend during that quarter, it goes up by appreciation by $2, you technically made 5% or $5. Right. And so when we use the term total return, it's indicating that those dividends are, are included. included with the appreciation. Yeah. Just so listeners understand yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that. Um, the next thing I had was just a weird stat that I saw that kind of grinded my gears a little bit. Oh, I love this. Um, so this was from a projection for the U.S. economy from the Congressional Budget Office. And the Congressional Budget Office, or often referred to as the CBO, is a federal agency in the legislative branch of the U.S. government that gives budget and economic information to Congress. And this was the stat here. Uh oh, here we go. I haven't seen the shut. New long term projections for the U.S. economy show weaker growth and a greater public debt burden, the Congressional Budget Office said Monday. 
The increase is due in part to surging outlays to combat the coronavirus, followed in later years by rising interest costs and higher spending on safety net programs such as Social Security and Medicare. Persistently weak federal revenue is also expected to contribute significantly to a widening budget gap over the next 30 years, the CBO said. So in my opinion, this is all noise and fear mongering. You know, how can they sit there and say this confidently? Did they also predict COVID? And did they did they put that into their numbers when they make these projections? I love it. It's just ridiculous, in my opinion. And, you know, this kind of stuff means nothing to me. And I don't think it should let, you know, people or I don't think people should let this stuff rattle them. Um, you know, as we've talked about before, Projections are just that, projections. They're the same thing as predictions, in my opinion, because the risk in investing is what you can't predict, you know? And I just, when I read this stuff, I still just can't get over the fact that they get away with putting this stuff out because we could have a natural disaster in seven months or we could have another pandemic three or four years down the road. And how can you put that into your plans? You can't. You can't. You can't. So, you know, this stuff... Again, and we've talked about before how the market is not the economy and the economy is not the stock market. This is a perfect example of that. I'd love to see the track record of the CBO, by the way. So let's go back 20 years and look would, at their 20-year yeah, projection. I'll, I'll see if we can pull something up or maybe um, our friends at Beastboat can pull something up for us on I that. Mean, but I, I would, there's I no would, accountability. I would venture to guess. Yeah, I would venture to guess that it, it hasn't been very good. I'm assuming that's the case. You know, so there's just something I, I saw that caught my eye that kind of made me a little upset i'm with you on this and i want to be polite since we're obviously recording <laughs> um so moving on the last thing i wanted to talk about with you today is this invesco um uh, presentation that came out a little while ago titled 2020 u.s presidential election 10 truths no matter who wins and i was made aware of this presentation from a blog written by our friend ashby daniels and this was on his blog, The Retirement Field Guide, titled Politics Don't Matter, dot, 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 to your portfolio. And as we've talked before here, you know, people shouldn't let their political views get in the way of how they uh, invest their money. And again, I think this presentation does a good job of backing that statement up. Okay. okay. And I'll just, as you go through it, I'll, I'll throw out there, if you don't mind, if I agree or disagree. So the first, uh, the first thing... Um, that they make here, the argument that they make is markets have performed well under both parties. So the S&P 500 index delivered an average annual return of approximately 11% over the past 75 years through both Democratic and Republican administrations. The U.S. economy also expanded around 3% during that period. The stock market's return was negative for presidential administration only when the country was in financial crisis or experiencing uh, stagflationary spiral back in 1973. And just for listeners, stagflation is a term that describes high inflation and high unemployment, which we don't really have any of that right now. I know employment uh, peaked there for a little bit, um, or unemployment peaked there for a little bit, but it is back on its way down and sure. we still don't see any inflation. Nope. So I thought that was interesting. That kind of leads into the next point that they make is that investors are better off staying fully invested. 
So the best performing portfolio in the past 120 years was the one that stayed fully invested through both Democratic and Republican administrations. Partisan portfolios, which would invest only when a Democrat or a Republican was in office, underperformed by millions of dollars. Um, and this chart is just kind of insane, Matt. We're going to link to this um, presentation on our show notes. So if you go to jessupwealthmanagement.com, hover over the podcast tab and click show notes, you'll find this presentation. And this chart is insane. So since uh, 1896, if you had stayed fully invested uh, into the Dow, uh, starting with $10,000, you'd have just about $7 million right now. Okay. Okay. Invested the whole time. The whole time. Yes, sir. If you invested only when Democrats were in the White House or Republicans were in the White House, you would have only probably a little less on this graph, less than $500,000. That's what it looks like on either scenario. On either scenario. Yes, sir. Yeah. So, you know, I think this graph is really all people need to see that, you know, over the long term, you can't play this game of jumping in and out of the market. Um, based on what party controls the White House. And I think the people that are most susceptible to falling into this situation are the ones that are more passionate about their party, either the extreme or the very far passion on either side. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you and I have seen this um, over the years where someone has a different uh, political view than who's in power. It happened under Obama. It's happened under Trump. And, you know, this just graphically shows that that's a mistake. Yeah. And people, I have no problem with people being passionate or passionate about their politics, but man, I mean, I, this, you just have to look at the data and the data shows that, Hey, it's usually not a really good idea to play that game. So. Agreed. So, so far I'm in agreement. Okay. All right. Um, so the next one I wanted to talk about was, um, government spending and market returns. So everyone's like, you know, the, Right now, everyone's like, if we keep spending all this money, then, you know, the economy is going to tank, the market's going to tank, and, you know, we're pretty much going to hell in a handbasket. Well, um, this chart shows that in uh, 1965, uh, when, excuse me, let me back up. So uh, the little bullet point next to this chart, it says this, even though the enactment of major government spending programs, the Dow Jones Industrial Index has still achieved returns of approximately 10% annualized since 1926. So in 1965, we had Medicare and Medicaid. In 1981 was the Economic Recovery Tax Act. In 1996, the Personal Responsibility and Work Opportunity Act. And in 2010, the Affordable Care Act. Um, you know, I just think that, again, people let you know, their opinions get, get the better of them. But if you look at this chart and you pull up this chart listeners, every time these major spending programs were enacted, it didn't really hurt the market at all. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think the, the issue with a lot of investors is they're looking at the bottom line number of total debt, but they're not then on the other side of the coin, looking at the economic growth of where the economy is at now compared to where it was 10, 20, 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. So I think what tends to happen is the media says, well, 15 years ago, total U.S. debt was X and now it's up to Y. 
but they're not giving you the comparison that the actual economy grew so much over that time period. Mm -hmm. So relatively speaking, it's not that horrible. They're only giving you, though, the total debt load and not comparing it to economic growth. Right, right. And, you know, I, you know, after 2010, after the Affordable Care Act was passed, everyone was like, oh, health, health stock, health care stocks are going to do horrible. They're done. They're done for. They're going to go to zero. And the stat here from Invesco says since 2008, the healthcare sector has returned 15.31% annualized, just below the 15.99% return of the S&P 500 index while President Obama was in office. So it's just like, you know, people like to say if this happens, then that's going to happen. But it, with the market, it's a funny thing, man. It just It just doesn't. Usually. Yeah, I mean, I'll give you kind of a, a semi-relational thing right now. Let's just talk about travel. There's so many people right now predicting that we will, and I'm, I hear the word never right now. So I'm hearing the word, we will never get back to passenger or travel levels pre-COVID. And you and I both know it's only a matter of time before it happens. Right, exactly. Okay, it, yeah. it will. Yeah, that's a perfect example of it. And I'm, I love to see, you know, the stimulus bill on this chart, uh, you know, 20 years Past. It's going to be a blip. To, yeah, it's going to be because a blip. where our exactly. economy is going to be, in, in my opinion, your opinion, 20, yeah. 30 years down the road, it's it's going to it's going to be minuscule, I think, with what our government's annual budget is at that point. Right. Right. Um, the next one is which I just absolutely love is predictions tend to be wrong. We have always resisted making market calls based on the results of presidential elections. Why? Because such calls rarely get it right. Past 10 years provide an interesting case study. Two very different presidents have had similar market performance. So, you know, the old, uh, not saying, but what was said back when President Trump got elected was with his fiscal policies, we were going to have higher yields um, on, uh, on bonds, right? And what's happened since then? Opposite. <laughs> the complete opposite. And they also said that with his fiscal policies, that value was going to start to outperform growth. And what opposite. happened? The complete opposite. So, again, it, this is just one of those things where, you know, if you predict one thing, like uh, they mentioned in this article, I didn't, I wasn't going to bring it up today, but I thought it was funny. They mentioned when uh, Mark Cuban was speaking before the 2016 president presidential election he said that if donald and i pretty much verbatim if donald trump gets elected then the market is going to tank opposite and the opposite happened so again just be careful who you listen to or what you're making predictions on uh yourself because again a lot of things when it has to come to investing in the stock market doesn't care what you think and usually the opposite happens I agree with everything you're saying, and listeners, I'll throw this out there to add to what Mark said. Just remember, sensationalism in these outlandish predictions are the things that give people airtime. They give uh, the space on a lot of these editorials, whether it's CNBC and Bloomberg. And, you know, the more sensational or the more outlandish prediction, use as data point, not a rule of thumb. Mm -hmm. Back to you. These last two were kind of my favorite. It kind of made me chuckle. Um yeah, and the, and the headline of this one is, again, markets don't care if you uh, don't like who is president. So investors don't have to love what is going on in Washington, D.C. to prosper in the markets. Some of the best returns in the market came when the presidential approval rating was in the low range 
between 36% and 50%. Interesting. So the pre- with presidential approval ratings since 1961, uh, presidents with approval ratings between 30 and 50 experienced a 15.3% return in the markets per year. Okay. Which is pretty interesting. Very, very. Um, you know, less than 35%. It looks like it gets a little hairy at negative 19.7% per year. But um, greater than 65% approval rating, only 5.4% return per year. So in essence, the historical average, you want the approval rating to be between that 30 and 50%. Right. But it just goes to show you that, you know, um, a lot of these things that people perceive are, that are tied to the stock market are completely false. I would agree. You know? and, and, and the only thing I'll throw out there is this. The one thing that always keeps me on edge, no matter which party controls it, is if you have one party completely controlling Congress and that same party has the presidency Mm -hmm. because the market likes predictability. And if you have the ability for them to push something through the market's not anticipating, that tends to not be a good thing. And I don't care if it's Republican or Democrat. Mm -hmm. So beyond that, when you have a split Congress like you have now, you know, it's more predictable for the market as to what's going to occur. Yeah, and I think Bespoke did some research on that um, last year that said, uh, you know, um, Congress and um, the White House, if it's split up and chopped up, the market tends to do better yes. than if it's all held by one party, regardless if it was Democrat or Republican. Exactly, exactly. I just want to throw that out there. So the last thing I had is kind of a funny one um, because, you know, people are always like, this is going to be, you know, the most bitter uh, <laughs> election four years, or Mark, this. Ra- every four yeah, years. Yeah. And this is just going to be, you know, going to be the worst yet. Right. Right. Everyone before this has been so presidential in the debates and all this stuff. If my, and, if and my this person is gonna doesn't be, win, I'm leaving the country. Right. So this uh, this bullet point is, no, this is not the most vitriolic election. And I, I didn't know what vitriolic meant, so I had to look it up. Appreciate that. So the definition from Google means filled with bitter criticism or malice. So that this fits is four years ago. That fits now. I mean, in, in essence, you're looking at levels of extreme at this point. Right. Right. And this is this is a good one. So while political debates and sound bites make for contentious TV today, fortunately, nothing in recent memory compares to the personal vendetta between sitting vice president Aaron Burr and former Treasury Secretary Alexander Hamilton that led to a duel with <laughs> pistols. <laughs> Nothing's ever going to beat that. Nothing Let's bring is, it back. Is, yeah. Let's bring it back. Nothing, Could you imagine Biden and Trump doing oh a God. duel? I think they both still be alive because they'd probably both miss. <laughs> I would agree time. with that. Um, but <laughs> so they say as long as Vice President Pence isn't fighting any duels, we're actually maintaining a higher <laughs> level of political discourse today. <laughs> So great. Again, it is just another soundbite thing that this this is the most bitter election that we're ever going to have. And, you know, things have never been this bad. Oh, my gosh. The the Treasury Secretary and the market says right here that even previous presidents had issues with the press. They have a quote here from George Washington. It says newspapers filled with all the what does he say here? I can't even read it. 
George Washington? Yeah, what's that quote say? News, new, newspapers filled with all the incentive that disappoint ignorance of facts and malicious falsehoods could invent to misrepresent my politics. So even Washington was complaining about the media. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yep. Okay. Yeah, and Thomas Jefferson had another one. He said, nothing can now be believed which is seen in a newspaper. Truth itself becomes suspicious by being put into that polluted vehicle. Wow. Even the founding fathers weren't too happy. Yeah, I think our our country needs a, a history lesson, to be honest. I do, too. I, 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 I don't. I'm not out of that category. I just I saw this on this presentation. It's very interesting. I thought, I thought it was pretty pretty interesting and pretty cool. Um, so yeah. So I mean, to wrap this up, Matt, whether you're in the middle, you're you're a Democrat, you're a Republican. Again, I think you have to keep your long term financial plan and politics separate. And I think that a lot of this data in this presentation proves that. And I like to go off of data and truth and facts. And that's what this stuff is to me, rather than just hearsay. Um, And I think that, you know, in personal emotions. Yeah, exactly. And I think that people can really do themselves like a serious disservice if if they let this stuff get involved with their investment plan and their financial plan. I love that you made this the focus of this podcast, given the fact that we're roughly a month away, five weeks from the election. And as this heats up over the coming weeks, I think the fact that you kind of threw this out there at this time is, is great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so because that rant took so long, we decided to opt out of a financial planning topic for this week. Um, so we wanted to keep this discussion within our normal time for listeners. Um, so we'll leave it there for the week, Matt. Again, we said that uh, we're wrapping up Q3 of 2020 today. We'll be in Q4 tomorrow. Um, Earnings season is going to be right around the corner. So you'll start to see headlines about companies reporting earnings um, and their projections probably for the holiday spending season Mm -hmm. for a lot of these companies. So um, we'll bring you some info on that in the coming weeks. Yep. Both of those will be right at the end of October, just right around the election. So We'll be talking about that in the weeks to it's come. It's going to be a busy, expect- a, a busy end of October, early November this year. Yes, expect a lot of headlines, a lot of news flow, and some volatility up and down right mm-hmm. around that end of the month, beginning of November, right around the election. I'm yeah. expecting that. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Uh, well, we'll leave it there for the week. And uh, we want to thank everybody for tuning in to the 65th episode of the Independent Advisors podcast. We hope you all have a wonderful rest of the week. See you next week. Thank you for listening to the Independent Advisors podcast. If you're interested in hearing more, hit the subscribe button so you can be notified every time a new episode gets released. Feel free to share with friends, family, and follow us on Twitter at Jessup Wealth, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Mark and Matt will continue to share beneficial information on these social media sites. And also check out the podcast tab on their website. That's www.jessupwealthmanagement.com. Here you'll find links to every episode of the Independent Advisors. 
Have questions or topics you want to discuss on the show? Message us on Twitter, LinkedIn, or send an email with the words, questions, and topics in the subject line to mark at jessupwealthmanagement.com. And we'll talk about it right here on the podcast. Certain sections of this commentary may contain forward-looking statements based on reasonable expectations, estimates, projections, and assumptions. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of future performance and involve certain risks and uncertainties, which are difficult to predict. All indices are unmanaged and are not available for direct investment by the public. Past performance is not indicative of future results. This podcast is provided for general informational purposes only and does not constitute either tax, legal, or financial advice. Although we do go to great lengths to make sure our information is accurate and useful, we recommend you consult a tax preparer, professional tax advisor, financial advisor, or lawyer regarding your specific circumstances. Investing involves risk, including the loss of principal. No strategy can guarantee any objective or goal will be achieved. Advisory services offered through Commonwealth Financial Network, a registered investment advisor.